You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. Let me say one other thing. I carry around in my pocket this little card. Got 28 words on it. I didn't dream it up. Newt Gingrich didn't dream it up. Republican Nashville didn't dream it up. It's a couple hundred years old. It's the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. It's part of the Bill of Rights. And I think our founding fathers had a lot of wisdom. You know what they were concerned about? What they were afraid of? That somehow the central government would become too big and too powerful and that we would lose government close to the people. You would lose your opportunity to make decisions at a local level. So they put in this amendment. And this amendment says, the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. No prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. What does that mean? It means unless the Constitution gives the power directly to the federal government. And if it does not prohibit that power to the states, then it belongs to the states and to the people. Somebody had a lot of smarts in those days. They were looking out for us. A long, long time ago. In the past 30 to 40 years, a lot of power has been shifting to the federal government. And the federal government does a lot of good things. Don't misunderstand me. But there are limits. So what would we like to do? Let's give you one example. Let's take welfare reform. Welfare reform. Some people have to have help. So I'm not criticizing anybody who receives welfare if they're able to, unable to work or if they're very young or very old or have disabilities. But by sending this back to the states, back to Republican governors, Democratic governors, Republican legislatures, Democratic legislatures, we had a proposal that President Clinton vetoed that would have saved $60 billion over seven years. And in my view, the people have gotten better care and better treatment at the hands of governors and state legislatures than they get from the federal bureaucracy. President Clinton hailed the bill when it passed the Senate by a vote of 87 to 12. And almost the identical bill went to him for signature, and he vetoed it. And he's a candidate who came to Iowa in 1992 and said, we're going to end welfare as we know it. When, Mr. President? When are we going to end welfare? Not with your leadership. Not with your leadership, Mr. President. That's one example of sending power back to the states. Power back to the states. And I think it's a good idea whether you're Democrat or Republican or an independent. We want a fairer, flatter tax system, too.
Senator Kassebaum. Good morning, friends, and I see a lot of friends in this audience. And Elizabeth, Robin, and I thank you for your tremendous welcome. We really appreciate it very much. It's great to be in Kansas. It's great to be in Kansas. the first Kansan to say there's no place like home. <laughs> but for me, the words have a very special meaning. Wherever I have traveled in this life, I've never forgotten where I came from or where I go home to, and that's very important. Whatever lessons I've applied in public life, were first learned here as a member of the Kansas House of Representatives, and I'm very proud of that, too. These days, I spend much of my time in another capital. You see many things from atop the hill in Washington where I work, but you can see America from here. You can see America from here. sense and uncommon sensitivity. That's the Kansas way. It's what made Dwight Eisenhower a great general and a great president. And it's what prompted Alf Landon with his unique wisdom to say, there are some intelligent people in Washington, but there are a lot more of them in Kansas. I hate to add the same applies to the other 49 states, particularly Iowa and New Hampshire. <laughs> but then Kansans never had to look to Washington, D.C. for a sense of compassion or community. As a young man in a small town, my parents taught me to put trust in God, not government, and never confuse the two. Something else I learned the hard way, that while self-reliance is an essential part of the American character, so is the spirit of community that reaches out to those wounded in body or soul. When I went off to war, it was to defend a community of values unique in all the world. I came back sustained by the love and generosity of friends and neighbors who renewed my sense of life's possibilities. And over these years, they have given me the opportunities for service which I can never hope to repay. And because they restored my spirit in a time of trial, I have dedicated myself to restoring the spirit of America. And so today, and so today, and so today, tempered by adversity, 
seasoned by experience, mindful of the world as it is, yet confident it can be made better. I have come home to Kansas with a grateful heart to declare that I am a candidate for the presidency of the United States. So on the on the phone line here at WTKN at Talk ninety four point five, we have one of my favorite guys who's a friend of mine for I would say almost three decades, at least twenty five years. He's been on our show before because he does some really good stuff, especially about history. It's Randall Wallace. Randall, you there with us? Yes, sir. How are you? How do you okay? Here's the question, a trivia question of the day: Who was singing that? Do you remember? <laughs> I do not. Okay, Glenn, who was it? That was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. I mean, we've been playing some really off the weird music today. (laughs) But I wanted to do that. This is our last segment of the day, and I wanted to do that here on this beautiful Saturday just because what we're going to talk about next, and the reason I wanted you to call, and I'm so glad that you did, is that very few, you know, we all, we lost a huge, phenomenal American patriot this last week, no doubt about it, who was one of the stalwarts of both political parties and got a lot of stuff done during his career. His name was Bob Dole, senator from Kansas. And I know that the reason I wanted you specifically, Randall, to call in and talk about him a little bit is because you actually worked on his campaign, and I know you've met the guy. So I'm going to be posting a picture, maybe it'll even be on by this afternoon, of you and the senator. You don't look the same, dude. <laughs> I have a picture of you. I had a lot more, from, a lot more hair. <laughs> you had a lot more hair. You had a few extra pounds on you, too. Anyway, so tell us about your relationship with Senator Dolan. I, you know, I um, I was very, very lucky. I, I called his office after he spoke at Richard Nixon's funeral, and they were like, this is the Senate office, and you know, they were, they, they were kind of vague about whether he was going to run for president or not, but they got my name, and then they called me um, once the campaign got started. The South Carolina people did, and uh, from there I got to, to work on that campaign and uh, – there was some, some, there was some kind of strange stuff that went on that led to uh, the guy that was supposed to be their county chairperson in Greenwood, South Carolina, which is where I was going to college, not kind of being very active. And so they started calling me. And so I had this bizarre situation where I was getting calls from – it was Governor Beasley's staff, but they were um, they were leave of absences helping because Dole had lost – people forget he lost in New Hampshire – to Pat Buchanan, and so there was this surge coming. I completely and they forgot to, about that. You're exactly right. Wow. And they were having to build this sort of this was going to be the, the firewall with South Carolina, and uh, and because Buchanan had done well, and all of a sudden Lamar Alexander, who was also running, uh, was doing was suddenly doing well, and he was sort of in that lane where Dole was, and uh, so South Carolina got really competitive, and because of that, and this and this guy that was supposed to be running it kind of disappearing. Here I was, a college student, and in Greenwood. They started asking me to do so. So I ended up getting help from a lady named Martha Bishop, who was Strom Thurmond's 90-year-old sister, who was in better health than I was. 
and the mayor of Greenwood and his wife, and we were the team around there, and and we were putting up signs and all that. So I got invited. Probably the big time I got to spend with him was at the Greenville Christmas Parade in 1995, and I actually saved some of that from the coverage from the TV. But um, so I had it on videotape for the longest time. Let me, let me just to, interject, Randall. Everybody, our listeners need to know that you have everything on videotape. Dude, I'll never forget when Jackie went over there to help you with your clothing operation. She said, the guy has like 10,000 videos here. So anyway. And all, <laughs> all stuff from C-SPAN that no one would want to watch. But uh, yeah. That's where all the VHS yeah, went. That's right, man. But uh, but I, you do have me on the side walking with him, but he could not have been a nicer guy. And I always tell this story about him that uh, – Carol Campbell was late for that parade, and they had to, because Dole was the Grand Marshal, they had to hold the parade up for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes for him. And uh, when uh, when they were there, it was Bob Peeler and Elizabeth Dole and Bob Dole and, and Carol Campbell. He kind of wandered off and went down. There was a place where they had disabled veterans and people in wheelchairs and stuff. And he went down there and was just talking with them and telling them stories and joking with them and stuff. Instead of hanging out with the big wheels or, or, you know, trying to get on TV, which is, you know, when you're running for president, that's what you're trying to do, I guess, to get on television. And they had to go find him to get the parade started. They had to walk down there and get him to come back up. And I always I love that because he was getting pictures taken with those people and, you know, taking time up with them. And uh, and I just found him to be the nicest, you know, just a super nice guy, always thoughtful to, to the common people, you know. Yeah, and, man. Uh, he was the real he McCoy. Did. I met him at a golf tournament just outside of Washington many years ago with Sam Snead, for crying out loud. Bob Dole and Sam Snead. And I'll never forget when I reached out to shake his hand, I did it like all of us do. We extend our right hand, and he, he reaches over with his left hand because his, his right hand didn't work, and he right. shook my hand with his with his left hand. It was re- really cool. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how people don't think about it because, you know, that Christmas parade deal and, and a couple other times I was with people handing him babies or, you know, wanting to get their picture taken with him and not thinking about the fact that this whole side of his body he couldn't really use. As and rule. even that, and even the hand that was good had was numb. He had like three fingers that were numb in it. So, you know, stuff like holding babies like most politicians can do, he really couldn't do. Yeah. Um, you were good at kissing ladies and holding babies, as I recall, <laughs> during your career. You must have learned some of it from him, my friend. Listen, we appreciate you calling in about Bob Dole. I was going to play some of his very funny humorous stuff but i think i'll take a pass and let's let's let you sort of wrap this up maybe next week we'll play a little bit of bob dole because i've got some hilarious stuff that he's done his wit was you know what we need the wit and wisdom of a guy like bob dole right now he was not necessarily the most conservative guy in the history of the world but he was he was a, a very effective leader and that's what we need and you know he didn't take things personally you know I, i'd seen him you know, people attack him, and and, and he just kind of would. You know, he could get. You know, he could maybe get a little caustic to him at the moment, but he didn't take it personally, and he didn't hold grudges. And you know, the guy that was fighting with him one day was was his friend on the next issue, and uh, the government ran. It worked. And if you look at it, he managed to get the government restarted when they closed it down. He was the deal maker there in '95. I remember that. Um, and you know, that was just he was just really good at working with people. And we need that now more than more than we we ever have. We certainly do. Randall Wallace, I'm t- it was such a pleasure to have you call in about this um, great American Bob Dole that we lost here in this last week, and we're going to miss him. And we need people just like him to step up and run for office. That's what we really need. We really do. 
and you know, in a time when all these politicians, even now, they're all very scripted and they stay on script. And, you know, they used to even put, you know, this is the only time I was ever up close, they'd have like tape for where they wanted him to stand. And, you know, Dole would get up there and he would go right off script. And yeah. he was just, you know, he didn't stay. There was nothing about him that was phony or, or you know, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, put together the, the way of yeah. Bill Clinton or or not to pick on Bill Clinton, but the way they are now where they stay on script and, they, and you can go hear the same speech a thousand times. Dole would be all over the place talking. And, and, and so my favorite, you know what my favorite thing that he used to do, Randall, you're going to love this. Just I'm going to do it for you, right? Tom Heron doesn't talk that way. You never hear Tom Heron speak that way. Tom Heron does not do the whole <laughs> he, he would say. Bob Holt, Bob Dole does this, or Bob Dole doesn't do. They would use like he's talking in the third person. He never said I. He said Bob Dole this, Bob Dole that. I loved it. Oh yeah, he always. I like the way he talks about Bob Dole. I, I remember him doing that with Chuck Grassley one time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you, Randall Wallace, for your insight to our lost leader, Bob Dole. We are looking guy. forward to seeing you get back next week. We'll be back. We're going to talk next week. And look at here, Julie, Senate Majority Leader Bob Dole and Mrs. Elizabeth Dole. It was a special honor for us to have them come here to Greenville, and they are certainly enjoying themselves, as is the crowd. Uh, Chris, it's really good to see them here in person. She's so beautiful. Certainly is, and of course, you know, quite possibly, Julie, we may be looking at a future president of the United States, so it is excellent that he spent this time here with us here in Greenville, and uh, of course, all that will remain to shake itself out, but it is certainly a pleasure to have him here. There are a lot of people here in the upstate, Chris, who would be willing to bet on that. <laughs> State today. He served as Grand Marshal of Greenville's Christmas Parade. Before the parade, Dole squeezed in some campaigning. He's convinced President Clinton's decision to deploy troops to Bosnia is a mistake. But Dole adds, now that the president has made the commitment, Americans should support the military fully. The President of the United States, without consulting Congress in 1993, promised he would send American troops there if there were peace. I wish he'd have come to Congress and consulted with us. But once the President of the United States gives his word for America, uh, if we back down on that, I think we have a huge credibility problem. Secondly, if NATO is going to be an effective force, uh, we have to be a part of it. We are NATO. 
Senator Dole says he told President Clinton that U.S. troops in Bosnia must have an exit strategy. Dole says an exit date is not an exit strategy. It's a Christmas parade, but not everybody was glad to see it around the corner when hundreds in their holiday costumes parade through downtown Greenville. Today's parade featured the usual bands, clockers, and clowns. But of course, leading today's parade was the man many believe will be our country's next president. Stephanie Trotter tonight telling us there was more on Bob Dole's mind than the campaign. He may be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, Senate Majority Leader Bob Dole is worried about unfinished work in Washington. Notwithstanding, I think the president made a mistake. Uh, I think now we move off, you know, get out ahead of that and start worrying about the troops. Dole disagrees with sending troops to Bosnia. However, he has agreed to back Bill Clinton especially if there's an exit plan for U.S. troops. not hard to get people into these things, but hard to get them out sometimes. And my view, unless we arm and train the Bosnians, uh, we're not going to be able to leave there in six months, eight months, or a year. Dole's concern over Bosnia is not lost on those joining in the holiday fun, especially the veterans. I just really don't feel we have a place there. I can't see that our national interest will be served by us going there, and it's just a waste of lives. And the problems here at home are bigger, and we need to take care of those first before we go help the third world country. Dole's goal is to look out for the troops and U.S. image. Once the President of the United States gives his word for America, if we back down on that, I think we have a huge credibility problem. A problem he can't forget, and one that holiday spirits can't hide. Stephanie Trotter, News 4, Greenville. At 11 tonight, we're going to tell you why Dole is finding the pavement especially hard right here in the upstate for his uh, upcoming presidential election. Coming up next, how much longer will summer last? Yeah, summer. When it comes to campaigning, appearing here is really a win-win situation. You see, South Carolina has got one of the earliest primaries in the upcoming election, and Greenville County has got a lot of voters. Very important county. It's large, and uh, quite frankly, uh, it's a good Republican stronghold. One that opponent, Phil Graham, has visited often and is working hard to win. But today, Dole found his own fans. I think he's great. It's the first time I've been to a Christmas parade in 14 years, and I came to see Bob Dole. He also found detractors. He's a politician. He supports politicians. He's the worst from all of them. Dole sure to meet more of each. Must not have a picture taken sure. As pictures, parades, and politics intensify before the election. Stephanie Trotter, News 4, Greenville. The issue of Bosnia was huge when Bob Dole was in Greenville, and it was a case of him staying loyal to the president even when he disagreed with him, which is uh, one of the things we talked about in my book. But I'm going to let Senator Hank Brown explain the issue to you and how impressive Bob Dole's uh, policy position was to everybody who saw it. I recall specifically an issue that I think many of us felt very strongly about, and that is the president's uh, commitment of troops to Bosnia. I oppose that with all my heart. And Bob Dole opposed it as well. He spoke out frankly and honestly about the mistake of deploying American men and women in a way that we didn't stand behind them. And when the debate was done, and when public opinion was clearly on the side of us who were reluctant to deploy U.S. troops into that theater, And when the president, in spite of all of it, had sent American men and women into that zone, we had the chance to vote on the floor, on a vote that would have embarrassed the president. 
by undercutting the funding that he would have for an action he'd taken. I considered it a tough vote. I didn't want to embarrass my president, but I didn't want him to have to go and serve in an area where we hadn't made a clear commitment. I believe Bob Dole shared my concern about the deployment. He said so frankly and honestly. But he also was concerned about America's influence and prestige and the president's ability to deal with others around the world. He passed up a chance to embarrass the president of the United States by voting for that resolution, by voting to sustain the president on a policy that he did not like. For Bob Dole, it was more important to support this nation and support its commander-in-chief than it was to gain a political advantage. Some could disagree with his vote. I did. But none could disagree with his motivation. For him, what was important was America and the viability of the commander-in-chief, even though he was someone he disagreed with. That kind of integrity, that kind of honesty, that kind of commitment to our nation are surely qualities that are not only rare, but desperately needed. I don't know what uh, our maker has in mind for Bob Dole. He's tested him in ways that many of us have never been tested. But I can't help but believe that Bob Dole's service is not finished yet. At an hour when our country desperately needs his integrity and his character, I'm glad there's a Bob Dole, the real thing. The conventional wisdom was that an insider couldn't win, and especially in the Republican Party primary. And so Nightline, with in this case it wasn't Ted Koppel, it was Far Sawyer, did a show with reporter Tom Foreman that showed Bob Dole out on the campaign trail in New Hampshire uh, in 1995 and 1996. And you know what conventional wisdom is. Time we thought for a closer look. We asked ABC's Tom Foreman to join Bob Dole on the campaign trail. It is 10 o'clock in the morning. The temperature is 21 degrees below zero. The entire town of Dubuque is windy and iced over. And at the airport, Bob Dole's campaign plane is arriving. At 72 years of age, he has waited his entire life to be here. Senator, how do you feel this morning? Feel good. How do you feel? He should feel fine. Here, near his home state of Kansas, he should be greeted like an old friend man from Washington who talks like he comes from next door. Well, I believe in loyalty. I believe in common, practical values like honesty and decency and loyalty, integrity, self-reliance. I've always been committed to public service. I never got in for the money. As I've said in all my statements, I love this country. And I think I can provide some leadership. There's a question uh, concerning uh, Forbes. Uh, but what should be and what is are two different things for Bob Dole. He should be way out front, commanding the polls. He is fighting for every vote in a state many thought he had already won. Well, the whole premise of the argument against him is that he can't win, that he is a loser, that he is part of the old guard, that he doesn't have the capacity to express a, a larger picture of why he ought to be president. As he heads to the next campaign stop, such thoughts are curious. Bob Dole has been in some form of elected office for 45 years. Surely he is doing something right. 
At each stop here, he underlines his vast political connections and influence, pointing out his supporters, such as popular Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. The point I want to make, he works for Iowa. Nobody works harder than Senator Grassley. And that's why I'm so proud to have him stand up here and say what he said about Bob Dole. But Dole finds himself in a place where his greatest asset, his experience, is also his greatest liability. Because it defines him as a Washington insider at a time when insiders are out. A certain degree of experience, I think, is a positive thing, but I think there is a general feeling that um, perhaps somebody that's been in the Washington circles too long is out of touch with, pe with people, and to that degree it can become a neg negative thing. How can anyone answer that kind of criticism? Dole talks about the rights of states, his own humble beginnings, about farms, about education, all the things he talked about when he was an outsider. I remember my first campaign, my slogan was Young Man on the Move. And I look back at that, I think even then, there were people out there who were skeptical, they had trouble with the government, they didn't like politics. Now, is it worse than it was? Maybe so, but I think I can make it better. I, mean, I wouldn't be out here running if I was going to deepen the cynicism. I want to make it better. Does this sign say something about me? <laughs> Still, he is an easy target. Dole has led Republicans in the U.S. Senate longer than anyone else this century. If he's so good at dealing with the nation's problems, why does the nation have so many? If he has such vision for the future, why are so many voters uncertain what that vision is? Well, there's an old saying that the worst thing to be in politics is an old face. Uh, on the one hand, everybody in Iowa knows Bob Dole. Uh, very few people in Iowa dislike Bob Dole. On the other hand, very few people are excited about him. They know him. Uh, he's an old hat. All of this is not really about the candidate's age or stamina. It is, after all, almost 4 o'clock in the afternoon, still brutally cold outside, and the campaign day is only half over. Rather, it is about the question, can Bob Dole really understand and communicate with the younger generation? You got a camera? Can I get a picture? Okay, right here. He and his supporters say, look at his record. We got a lot, you know, hundreds and hundreds of young people working in our campaign, and uh, we think we're right on target, we're going to stay on target. Well, and the balanced budget act that we passed is all about the next generation. It's our concern about making sure that the children and grandchildren don't have debt. It is late in the day, and a door has frozen open on the campaign plane, grounding it. As technicians scramble, down the line, campaign workers stall. They developed some engine trouble, so that put him behind by a little bit. Every time Bob Dole has sought the White House, something has gone wrong. He was Gerald Ford's running mate in 1976. Hi, Jimmy Carter. Tell him this way. The team lost to Jimmy Carter. We understand that we're trying to be late, trying to cover a lot of ground. He ran for president in 80. I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear that lost I lost to Ronald Reagan. Couldn't get the door closed with an airplane in Des Moines. Oh, no. so cold. Ran again in 88. I, George Herbert Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. Lost to George Bush. I thought 88 was it for Bob Dole. Then George Bush would be reelected and I would be the leader in the Senate. I, William Jefferson Clinton, do solemnly swear. But it didn't work that way. Fate stepped in, George Bush lost, Bill Clinton became president, so here we go again. This time he is convinced it will be different. 
And I thought maybe my generation might just have something to offer this country. Something they need right now in a president. Every night you have free, you're off somewhere in a different place, different motel, different noises, away from your friends, family, your wife. But, uh, you know, I talked to my wife about it a lot. We decided to, as I said, one more mission, one more chance to serve, one more opportunity, one more challenge. Was it an easy decision? No. By the time this 15-hour campaign day is done, Dole will have covered 1,200 miles. He will have been to six towns, given five speeches, answered dozens of questions, and shaken hundreds of hands. Had a good day. It's cold out here, though. It is a measure of how much the presidency means to Bob Dole that he has faced the cold, faced the criticism, faced it all before for nothing. And he is running again. And when we come back, the second part of Tom Foreman's report, Bob Dole fighting his image as a Washington insider and being candid about his difficulties as a candidate in the television age. We'll be back in a moment. This is ABC News Nightline, brought to you by... and still very cold. Bob Dole is going to church to be among the faithful in Spencer, Iowa. While out on the edge of town, in a small truck stop, some local residents are talking about the breach of faith they feel with Washington. I can't get excited about politicians, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not just Bob Dole, but politics in general. Dole. Politics in general. Why is that? You don't know what to believe. All I've ever seen them do is slam each other and fight. And that's both parties. I don't like it. People view Washington as a place where problems come from. You know, that's the general perception, rather than a place where solutions come from. The Washington politicians are soaking taxpayers again. It is that breach of faith that Steve Forbes has slid into. Like Bob Dole, who's collecting millions in tax money to get elected. Washington politicians spending taxpayers' money to run their political ads. Using attack ads like a crowbar, Forbes has tried to widen the gap between voters and Dole even further. Dole tries to fight back. The press calls Steve Forbes' negative campaign simply untrue. Takes liberties with the truth. Misleading. Highly negative. With ads that suggest Forbes is not only an outsider, but an outsider that no one knows enough about. Steve Forbes. Untested. Not truthful. Here we go. But Dole believes for all the negatives an insider faces this year, there are still many positives. He is a traditional campaigner who believes traditional ways will win. I'm glad you finally did. No, we do. Iowa is a caucus state, not a primary state. Forbes has shown that you can spend millions of dollars and buy a position in the public opinion poll, but you can't buy caucus attendance. That takes an organization. That takes a grassroots organization. Now, that's the way we've done it for years in Iowa. Bob, don't do it by the book, and the book says organize, organize, organize. I think that's what makes a difference. Across Iowa, volunteers are trying to find out how deep his support runs, trying to confirm not polls, but votes. And I have you down on a list of Bob Dole supporters, and I just wanted to confirm that and see if he'll be voting on February 12th. You've got to have committed people out there. They've got to be for Bob Dole. And I'm just trying to keep track of the Dole vote for February 12th. 
and you indicated that you were leaning towards Bob Dole. They've got to go to the, particularly in Iowa, they got to drive out maybe 10 below zero, 20 below zero, may snow. I want to say thanks for your vote. We're looking forward to having your vote on February 12th. So you've got to have committed people who really believe in what they're doing and understand the importance of this process, not just to Iowa, but to the nation. And I think it's here. Although the Dole campaign gives lip service to the merits and worthiness of the other Republican contenders, it is very clear at every stop, Bob Dole is already running and running hard against Bill Clinton. And if President Clinton thinks he can talk right and govern left, he's wrong. You can't have it both ways. And Dole knows against the president, he will also be running not only against substance, but also against style. Thank you. The president has perfected the art of television. The era of big government is over. But Dole struggles with the medium. His response to the State of the Union address was tailor-made for his critics. He appeared stiff, humorless, mean. We have been unable to agree. Why? Because we have starkly different philosophies of government. It was not his finest hour, and he knows it. I think television is a killer. I like to have people in front. I can't, in a private room looking at a machine, stir up much emotion. But I, I, give me an audience of real live people. You know, I, you really feel it up there. Look at the contrast. Speaking to a meeting of the nation's governors in Washington today, Dole was warm, friendly, joking. I know you've had a couple of days of meetings and speeches. So I thought I might liven things up by giving my State of the Union response again. So. Bob Dole knows he cannot leave voters with an image of a politician at a podium. But he must show them he understands common people and common problems. He knows he must convince Americans he has a clear vision for their future, as clear as his vision of his past. I think people are looking for someone. They're looking for someone they can trust. We have problems with government, too. We don't trust everything in this big government of ours. Now, I'll have to be elected to sort of finally make that connection. But my view is it's Bob Dole versus Bill Clinton. Uh, the voter's going to have a very clear choice, and uh, we look forward to that race. That is what the race will be if Bob Dole gets the nomination and a different race, with the full weight of the Republican Party behind him. But right now, like all the other contenders, he is running alone, hoping he will still be running after Iowa. Forrest? Tom, you've hit on this interesting dichotomy about Bob Dole. People who know him talk about a very decent man and a very funny man. But if you talk to somebody who doesn't know him, sometimes you keep hearing that word mean and, and stiff. You can't help but be struck for us when you're on the road and you're you're meeting the people who are meeting him for the first time, how many of them come away saying he is much warmer, much friendlier, they feel much closer to him by simply being around him than they ever have through television. That happens to some degree with all candidates when people meet them, but with Bob Dole, it is unusually strong, this reaction from people. Journalists speak about feeling good about him as a human being, that they like him and they like being around him. It is a very strange dichotomy between what Bob Dole appears to be on television and what he is in life. His ability to overcome that may lead to the success or failure of his campaign. For him to be most effective, he should spend a lot of time on the campaign trail, and if he is the Senate Majority Leader, which he is, that's tough. He's talked about that on almost every stop. He's been in Washington trying to do the work of the people, and that keeps him off the campaign trail. 
He's hoping that people will give him credit for that instead of penalizing him for it. ABC's Tom Foreman. Thanks very much, Tom. When we come back, Nightline's political analyst, Jeff Greenfield. <laughs> This is Randall Wallace, uh, your host for Bridging the Political Gap. I want to thank you first for tuning in to our podcast and invite you to come to our website, randallwallace.com. There you can get a copy of our book, Always Vote Your Conscience, Don't Take It Personally, and Don't Fight the Same Old Battles Over and Over Again, with a lot of policy suggestions and things that I think everyone could embrace, an argument for why we need to be working together instead of fighting with each other. Also, you can take a look at the first 11 episodes of this podcast, which was a podcast documentary that looked at the World War II generation of bipartisan leadership that built the American century and the lessons we can learn from them to apply to today's situations. Again, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And if you've enjoyed our show, please leave us a review at wherever you get your podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. making his way down the hallway, followed by his wife, uh, Elizabeth Dole. And you can see he's being greeted uh, not just by Republican members of Congress, but by Democrats as well, uh, wishing uh, Senator, uh, Senator Dole well uh, as he makes this, uh, this announcement, which will take him out of an institution that he has served for the last 27 years. You can hear the chanting. Uh, we assume it's just the Republicans who are chanting, Dole, Dole, Dole. Well, but we did see a couple of Democratic faces. I saw Tom Harkin of Iowa there. Dole yeah, is a man respected by both sides. He's the ultimate legislator, the clear professional. And this is going to start a fight in the Republican Party to see who's going to succeed him as majority leader. Speaker Newt Gingrich, of course, standing there just behind uh, Senator Dole. Let's listen uh, to him, and we see his daughter Robin is there beside his wife. listen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let me say to many of my friends and my wife Elizabeth and daughter Robin and others, we're very honored to have you here. And I just say, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, one of the qualities of American politics that distinguishes us from other nations is that we judge our politicians as much by the manner in which they leave office as by the vigor with which they pursue it. You do not lay claim to the office you hold. It lays claim to you. Your obligation is to bring to it the gifts you can of labor and honesty and then to depart with grace. And my time to leave this office has come. 
And I will seek the president with nothing to fall back on but the judgment of the people and nowhere to go but the White House or home. I have run for Republican leader of the United States Senate, and six times my colleagues giving me their trust have elected me, and I'm proud of that. So my campaign for the president is not merely about attaining office. It's about fundamental things, consequential things, things that are real. My campaign is about telling the truth. It's about doing what is right. It's about electing a president who is not attracted to the glories of the office but rather to its difficulties. It's about electing a president who, once he takes office, will keep his perspective and remain, by his deepest nature and inclination, one of the people. Therefore, as the campaign for the president begins in earnest, it is my obligation to the Senate and to the people of America to leave behind all the trappings of power, all comfort, and all security. So today I announce that I will forgo the privileges, not only the office of the majority leader, but of the United States Senate itself, from which I resign effective on or before June the 11th. And I will then stand before you without office or authority, a private citizen, a Kansan, an American, just a man. But I will be the same man. I was when I walked into the room, the same man I was yesterday and the day before, and a long time ago when I rose to my hospital bed and was permitted by the grace of God to walk again in the world. And I trust in the hard way, for little has come to me except in the hard way, which is good because we have a hard task ahead of us. We're gaining, but still behind in the polls. The press does not lean our way. And many Beltway pundits confidently dismiss my chances of victory. I do not find this disheartening. I do not find it discouraging. For this is where I touch the ground. And it is in touching the ground in moments of difficulty that I've always found my strength. I have been there before. I have done it the hard way. And I will do it the hard way once again. begin to reconstitute our momentum and tell it is a great and agile force, clear in direction, irresistible in effect. Our campaign will leave Washington behind to look to America. As summer nears, I will seek the bright light and open spaces of this beautiful country and will ask for the wise counsel of its people, from the seacoast of Maine and California to the old railroad towns in the Midwest, to the verdant south the mountains of Colorado to the suburbs of Chicago and in places in between 
no, mainly to you who call them home. I have absolute confidence in the victory that to some may seem unattainable. This is because I have seen victory, and I have seen defeat, and I know when one is set to give way to the other. And to concentrate upon the campaign, giving all and risking all, I must leave Congress that I have loved, which I have been honored to serve, many of my friends here today. And some might find this surprising, given the view that Congress has been my life. But that is not so. With all due respect to Congress, America has been my life. And the very least, a presidential candidate... presidential candidate owes America is his full attention. Everything he can give, everything he has, and that is what America shall receive from me. I am privileged... I am highly privileged to be my party's presidential nominee, and I am content that my fate and my story are for the American people to decide. For the American people have always known through our long and trying history that God has blessed the hard way. And because of this, as I say thank you and farewell to the Senate, as summer nears and as the campaign begins, my heart is buoyant. Thank you and may God guide us to what is right. Thank you very much. confirming uh, what uh, became clear in uh, statements a few hours ago by his associates that he is not only resigning as the Senate Majority Leader, but he is indeed resigning his seat as the 27-year Senator from the state of Kansas. Uh, among other things, uh, he's talked about uh, uh, the fact that he knows that this is a tough campaign. He acknowledged he's behind in the public opinion polls, but he said he's not discouraged by that that his life has been full of challenges and of hard times, as he put it, and that this is going to be another example of that. You see uh, Senator Dole being uh, greeted, as he said, not only by Republican members of the Senate, but by Democrats as well, acknowledging his longtime uh, service uh, in the Senate. Bill Schneider, uh, these were uh, some eloquent words uh, from someone who spent three decades uh, more than three decades in these uh, institutions. I think this was Senator Dole at his best. Compare this, for instance, to the widely criticized response to the State of the Union. This was a very personal statement. He was speaking as an American. He was speaking as a, a man. He depicted himself as one of the people. He wanted to touch ground again with the American people, not as the august leader of the United States Senate. In fact, he's trying to reposition himself here. He says he's going to leave behind office without authority. He says he's going to leave Washington behind and seek the wise counsel of the people. I think it's exactly the right thing to do. The question is, can a man who's been in power for all, all this time, for so long, do it? Well, he's starting today by indicating that this is a great sacrifice for him. 
And I think the critics would also point out, at least the Democrats, I should say, mm -hmm. might also point out that what was hurting Bob Dole, among other things, was his association with Newt Gingrich, the Speaker of the House, the gentleman, in fact, we just saw standing behind him uh, there uh, in the Hart Senate office building. Is it possible for Bob Dole to, after these months and months of being identified with at least being a part of the Gingrich revolution, to suddenly say, no, it's not the Congress that's my great interest, it's the American people. It's going to be tough. I mean, he, is, he has the image of the ultimate Washington insider, the man of the establishment, the status quo. Can he redefine himself? Can he put distance between himself and the unpopular Republican Congress, particularly Speaker Gingrich in the House of Representatives, and the contract with America? It's not going to be easy. He voted for the contract with America. I don't think he can get elected president by running on the contract as his agenda. He's got to have his own agenda. That's what he's going to start to do today, and he says he's going to go back to the people to try to reconstitute his energy. As you said, Bill, it was a strikingly emotional statement that he made because he uh, he said and I wrote this down he said I'm, I he said I will stand as a private citizen uh, after June 11th when the resignation takes place as a Kansan and at that point you could see his eyes start to redden and even to tear up a little uh, it's clear that this is a, this was not a or, a or a simple move for him to make but then he went on to say I'll be the same man as the day I walked in the same day I rose from that hospital bed of course after his injuries in World War II and that is something that Bob Dole is increasingly feeling comfortable about talking about. It used to be that you had to pry that information uh, from Senator Dole, but now he's much more willing to, to share that uh, with, uh, with the American people. We did not hear a word of legislative jargon. We didn't hear about cloture votes. We didn't hear about filibusters. We heard none of the legislative jargon. That's become almost a joke because every time Bob Dole talks, that's the language he used. Notice how he spoke today. He spoke from the heart. He spoke very personally. It was a different Bob Dole than we're used to seeing. I'd compare this with his response to the State of the Union. It was a very different kind of person. He's trying to restart his campaign there. And he also adds, little has come to me except in a hard way. He's been a tough, mm -hmm. sacrificing guy. He's had a very bitter life experience. He's risen above it and achieved very pinnacle of success in the American Congress and now a nominee for the presidency. He's trying to make the case that he's been behind before. He's faced, been faced with defeat and personal setbacks before, and he's always fought his way out of it. This is his symbolic effort to restart his campaign from outside the United States Congress, and as he puts it, at sacrifice and a considerable risk. I'm not sure there's that much of a risk, because I do think his Senate career was really at an end. It's not clear where he could have gone had he lost the, the presidency. If he'd gone become president, of course, he would have left the Senate. If he had lost the election, uh, then uh, what would his future have been? He was going to be challenged for majority leader in any case. All right. Once again, uh, we are, I'm here with Bill Schneider. And, and uh, the big news is that Bob Dole is resigning his seat in the United States Senate, effect, effective June the 11th. He said, I'm going to seek the presidency with nothing to fall back on but the judgment of the American people and nowhere to go but the White House or back home to Kansas. We're going to go to a break now. We'll be back uh, after that at some point with a talk, we hope, in just a few moments with the chairman of the Republican Party, Haley Barber. We'll be right back. June 11th, 1996, was one of the most emotional days of my life and one of the most beautiful days of our lives because of all the tributes and the warmth and the love that was in that room for Bob Dole. Um, it was uh, quite an event because he was not only stepping down 
from his role as majority leader of the Senate, he was giving up his Senate seat. And he loved the Senate. I never will forget when he came to Mississippi as a new member of the Senate to defend those who were in charge of disaster benefits after Hurricane Camille had struck our Gulf Coast in 1969. There were some in the Senate who were prospective candidates for president who were on the other side of the aisle who chaired the committees well, they came down to investigate how our state was dispersing disaster benefits and suggested with a lot of national attention that we were discriminating in our state against some of our citizens in that process. And it really was blatant posturing and trying to take advantage of an emotional situation to curry favor in the national political arena. At Bob Dole, young, new, United States Senator could see through that, and he defended our elected governor, the other officials in Mississippi who were working very hard to try to take care of a situation and deal with an enormous disaster. Huge uh, money damages had been lost, a lot of personal suffering, lives had been lost, and Bob Doe was willing to come down and stand up for what would have been a politically incorrect cause defending uh, the state of Mississippi. I remember that, and all of Mississippi remembers that. And if they wonder why the numbers are like they are in the presidential polls. Who seeks recognition? President. Distinguished senior senator from Alaska is recognized. Mr. President, it's with a sad heart that I join uh, these comments about the majority leader. I've I've known uh, Senator Dole for a long time. And I've known him as a man who is uh, unquestionably a leader. There are people who have uh, mannerisms that come from various experiences in their life. And whenever I think of Bob Dole, I think of a, a great many men I've known in my life who were tested in war. He not only was tested, but he was severely injured and really came back uh, in, a, in a miraculous way through the support that he got from his own townspeople uh, in Kansas, through the really the skill of a great surgeon in Chicago. But he came back and decided uh, that the country that had given him that opportunity to recover from the effects of war was a country that he owed something to. And he has committed his life, really, to trying to make America a better place. I, I really uh, don't uh, um, know too often that I sort of puddle up Future generations will look to what we did during our watch here in the Senate, and they're going to find a great many marks made by Senator Bob Dole, even beyond being a leader. The work that he did, along with others, in, in saving the Social Security system, evolving a bipartisan solution. Although it's not totally permanent, it was historic what uh, Senator Dole did, 
working on the Finance Committee, and, and that law did, in fact, preserve Social Security system, the Social Security system. But Senator Dole goes beyond that in, in my mind because I see him with uh, the Secretary of Transportation when she came to Alaska, standing on the back of a railroad car, the type of railroad car that uh, former presidents have used or presidential candidates have used as they've made whistle-stop campaigns through the country. I hope Bob Dole does that as a candidate. But clearly, uh, I saw the way he met with our Alaska Native people, with Alaskans, and the way he enjoyed the outdoors, and, and really has been quite supportive of both those of us who represent uh, our state. The, the Bob Dole I know is a man that you never have to ask him twice where he stands. You can take his word to the bank. And the decision he made today... Mr. President. The distinguished president pro tempore. Yeah, Mr. President, today, Senator Bob Dole announced that he will not be a candidate for re-election to the U.S. Senate. He's announced his resignation. I have been in the Senate for 22 years. I've been here with many leaders, majority and minority leaders. And I can say that he is one of the ablest and finest leaders that this country has ever had, serving in the Congress of the United States. He is a man of principle. He stands for what is right. felt it his duty since he's going to run for president to give his full attention to that campaign. He felt he couldn't do both, look after the Senate's work and run for president too. And unlike some people who would have attempted to do both, he gave up all the power in the Senate because he is a majority leader here and has served the longest term, I believe, any majority leader in history. He's made a fine record. He's given all that up because he wanted to do his duty and felt he couldn't run for president and also look after his duties here in the Senate. Now, Mr. President, he knows what responsibility means. He's a man of courage. He was a man of compassion. He could walk with kings, and yet he was at home with the lowly people. I've seen many instances in which he showed great compassion here and with employees and with members of the public, with the unfortunate, with the disabled, with the troubled. And everybody sometimes has a problem. He took pleasure in helping people to solve their problems. A man of compassion and a man who loved people. Then in all of these things, he was courteous. In this position, he has a majority leader. 
he could have been short with people. And he, and he could have said things and gotten away with it. That wouldn't have been characteristic of Bob Dole. But he was always nice to people. He always tried to help people. And for that reason, we highly respected him. Because of all these good qualities, I am proud to claim his friendship. I am proud that he's an American. And I am pleased that he took the step he did today, which shows strength and courage and principle. And we look forward to his coming back to the government as President of the United States. Thank you, Mr. President. The Democratic leaders recognize. The greater the adversity, the greater the adherence to principle and decency, the greater the admiration. Maybe that's why someone from South Dakota, someone of different politics, different religion, different education, can reflect on the admiration that I hold for Bob Dole with the sincerity that I do now. I've had the good fortune to work closely with the majority leader now for 18 months. The conditions for a good working relationship could not have been much worse. We had just lost the majority. He was the likely nominee to run against a Democratic president. And the House Republican leadership, now also in the majority, had proposed a contract with America. Of course, the events over the past year and a half could easily have led to bitterness and personal animosity of major consequence. I have no doubt that in virtually any other set of circumstances, there would have been no other result. The fact that it did not occur, that in spite of it all, we remain friendly, is due to Bob Dole and who he is. His civility, his pragmatism, his quick wit, his self-effacing humor has not only served him well these past 45 years of public life, but has served his colleagues and his country well, too. His sense of fairness and decency is a standard by which all people in public life should be held. He believes in the institutions of democracy and has helped guide his party and this body in a way that has enhanced them, too. And while our philosophic differences are great, his willingness to do what is difficult has been a source of admiration and respect for us all. His courage and standing for principle has been evident from the start. It was there when he broke ranks with his party to support the landmark civil rights measures of the 1960s, most notably the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Acts of 65 and 82. It was there when he championed landmark nutrition programs with a visionary leader and a giant from South Dakota whose name was George McGovern. It was there in 1991 when he and our colleague Tom Harkin arguably did more for the disabled than anyone in our nation's history. And it was there in this Congress when against all political advice, fashioned a resolution on Bosnia that led to broad support for our troops being stationed there. I'm grateful to Senator Dole.
for that leadership, for the decency and fairness which he has demonstrated to me over these past 18 months. I've learned from him, and it has been an invaluable education. It has always impressed me that Bob Dole would come to my office for a meeting. The seasoned leader coming to the newcomer, the majority leader coming to the minority leader's office. I thought it was yet another demonstration of Bob Dole's grace and demeanor. And I know now that it was. But I also learned that in doing so, this man of the experience of thousands of such meetings could always be the one to determine when the meeting was over. I regret that we did not accomplish more together in these last two years. Obviously, bad timing was a factor. Our accomplishments have been eclipsed by our partisanship in the eyes of the American people. But nothing should cloud America's view of just a man from Kansas who began with little, who in fighting for this country lost almost all that he had, who came back to help lead this party and his country with courage and civility, who leaves this place with the gratitude of us all. And while I cannot wish him ultimate success at his next political venture, Linda and I wish Elizabeth and Bob Doe well in their new life ahead. May it be filled with good health and much happiness. I yield the floor. Mr. President, I observe the absence of a quorum. Can I call a roll? Mr. President, I rise to say farewell to my friend and long-standing colleague, the able senator from Kansas, the Senate Majority Leader, Bob Dole. Bob Dole has responded to the call of duty throughout all of his life. And we are all the richer for his dedication and his work. His life and his service have made a difference. American politics is a rough and tumble occupation. And we in this chamber are all too familiar with the savagery, the criticism, the, the negativity that has so infected political life in our day. But there are times when politics must be put aside and the honest, heartfelt, contributions that we each and all make as servants of the people must be acknowledged. I congratulate the majority leader on his long and distinguished service in the Senate and before that in the House of Representatives and before that in the Kansas legislature to which he was elected at the young age of 26. As one of his fellow Americans, I thank him for his service and his bravery during World War II. And it has been a privilege and has been a pleasure 
to work with Senator Dole in the leadership positions given to both of us by our colleagues. First, when he was majority leader and I was minority leader. And then when our roles were reversed. Senator Dole and I are the only floor leaders in Senate history to move from majority leader to minority leader and then back again to majority leader. I guess it is a classic case of what comes around goes around. <coughs> but what goes around comes around. Often I have pondered this turning of the Senate wheel, a continuing rotation of individuals of different temperaments and talents, of opposing beliefs and varied backgrounds. I have been honored to serve in the Congress of the United States for almost 44 years. I have witnessed the comings and I have witnessed the goings of many fine men and women. Some were extraordinary leaders, like Joe Martin of Massachusetts, Sam Rayburn of Texas, Lyndon Johnson of Texas, Everett Dirksen of Illinois, Hugh Scott of Pennsylvania, and Howard Baker of Tennessee, and Mike Mansfield of Montana, who served as majority leader for 16 years. Many made outstanding contributions to their country and were considered irreplaceable in their time. And yet our brief appearance upon the Senate stage is only temporary. It is applauded remarked upon, and then forgotten, washed away like footprints in the sand by the next turn of the wheel, the next wave of events. But through it all, the Senate endures and goes on like Tennyson's Brook forever. It is far, far greater than the sum of its 100 parts. Senator Dole in his four terms in the House and five in the Senate has been a serious and successful legislator. He was the 1,645th person to have taken the oath of United States Senator. He has served as leader of his party in the Senate longer than any other Republican. 10 years, 11 months, and 20 days today. Bob Dole has served longer as a Republican in Congress. 35 years, 5 months, and 8 days than any other current member of the Senate and House. Additionally, he is the only Kansas senator to have chaired the Senate Finance Committee. He has earned the respect of his colleagues. He has been a hands-on leader, often working personally with other senators and staff 
to craft legislative compromises and solutions to difficult national questions. As Republican leader, both when he served as majority leader and as minority leader, he was always available to work on solutions to problems of both a national and international nature. He gave his time, including the hours spent away from the chamber and the hill, to wrestling with those solutions. And I have fond memories of the time that we worked together in the 100th Congress, when I served as majority leader and he was the minority leader. And we succeeded in crafting important legislation, including the landmark Omnibus Trade and Competitiveness Act of 1988. Together, we developed a new trade tool for the United States called the Super 301 Law which required annual reviews of foreign trade practices, the identification of priority foreign country practices against American products, and the triggering of automatic investigations against such countries' practices. Senator Dole has been particularly attentive and active in the foreign policy and national security areas. While we have not always agreed on specific policies, he has been a major contributor to our nation's policies regarding the Soviet Union before its collapse, arms control, Bosnia, and the Gulf War with Iraq, to name a few important examples. When he was majority leader in 1985 and I was minority leader, together we created the Arms Control Observer Group to monitor the Senate will suspend till order for game. And I thank the chair. To monitor arms control negotiations and treaties with the Soviet Union. Together, we led a Senate delegation to the opening of U.S.-Soviet arms control negotiations in Geneva that year. We also traveled together at the request of President Reagan to Moscow to celebrate the historic exchange of instruments by Presidents Reagan and Gorbachev, ratifying the INF Treaty. In the area of domestic policy, Senator Dole has been a longtime central figure on farm legislation. He has amassed an impressive record of service on behalf of the disabled and the handicapped. He has particularly advanced the cause of handicapped children. While I've enjoyed working together with Bob Doe, and sometimes have equally enjoyed working at odds with him on various issues, I am saddened that he is leaving the Senate. He will cast a long shadow as he goes. It isn't enough to say in our hearts that we like a man for his ways. It isn't enough that we fill our minds with psalms of silent praise. Nor is it enough that we honor a man as our confidence upward mounts, is going right up to the man himself and telling him so that counts. So when a man does a deed that you really admire, 
don't leave a kind word unsaid. For fear to do so will make him vain or cause him to lose his head. But reach out your hand and tell him well done and see how his gratitude swells. It isn't the flowers which throw on the grave. It's the word to the living that tells. And so I say to my friend, Bob Doe, well done. Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again and so long for now. <laughs>